Hi, this is Chuck Gravely, and uh, you're listening to P2P Podcasts. Uh, with me, I've got Mike McClendon, um, and we're going to be talking about weathering a storm. Our uh, topic is after the storm. Um, there are two things I'm going to cover. One is I just want to hear the story. It's uh, it's it's quite interesting, and Mike and I have talked about it before. But uh, since I'm a bit of a techie, we're going to also dig into uh, a few technical details. So I'm going to cover both of those. Um, and without further ado, I'm going to uh, introduce uh, our guest, Mike McClendon. Uh, he doesn't need much of an introduction because he's uh, he's on the FAC. Uh, he's been in this business for 25 years. He's done 14,000, over 14,000 inspections. So you've probably met him before. Um, and uh, Mike's in Panama City, Florida, where he runs his uh, uh, franchise. And uh, for people that don't know uh, Florida, that's sort of the northern part of Florida on the Gulf side. Um, so let me just hit one thing, Mike, before we get going. 25th anniversary. That's pretty cool. Like it's almost, uh, I think you said it's almost exactly your 25th anniversary of your first inspection, right? Actually, yeah. September 15th uh, was the 25th anniversary of doing my actual oh. very first home inspection, which of course was free, you know, <laughs> back in 1998. Yeah. So oh, that's good. Cool. Yeah. It's a pretty big milestone. Yeah. Well, that's an especially nice date for me because that also happens to be my birthday. So, oh, there you, you go. Doing, you were doing your first inspection on my birthday, uh, in 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, 25. If it, that's actually a silver anniversary. So I was searching around to see what I had, and I only have these. My wife bought me these two candlesticks. I'm yeah. Them, <laughs> yeah. Sitting next to me in honor of your. Uh, silver lovely. anniversary lovely and, uh, <laughs> congratulations yeah so uh anyway mike uh mike is a incredibly experienced inspector uh, as, as you can tell from his credential um and this is not his first storm but uh perhaps uh the most exciting uh <laughs> exciting one so uh what i want to do is just dig right into that uh, your experience and I want to hear about what it was like but I, I'm going to just tell people a little bit about just the stats of that storm um, and you correct me if I say anything wrong but my understanding so first of all it was in 2018 I think October 2018 so five years ago yep. uh, it's long enough ago that we can kind of joke a little bit uh, I'm sure we, there was nothing funny about it at the time um, but uh, that particular uh, hurricane uh, made landfall at 140 knots. Uh, that was the landfall rating, a category five. Um, and 140 knots is 160 miles an hour. And uh, I'm a bit of a sailor, so I can give you some info. Uh, 15 knots is when you start seeing white caps on a body of water. Typically. Yeah. So I'm out in my boat and I see white caps. I'm like, okay, that's 15 knots. So that's a pretty windy day. Um, but, you know, kind of a spirited day for sailing once you start seeing spray and heavily white capped you're talking about 25 knots um, and you're thinking you've got your sails completely reefed and you're starting to think it might be nicer to go in and have dinner on shore because yes. uh, that's pretty windy and that's when you also sort of hear a bit of a howling wind uh, so that's 25 knots this made landfall at 140 knots so i just want to give people a, a perspective on what we're talking about here so um and so i'm going to turn it over to you like walk me through 
what happened. Walk, walk us all through. Yeah, yeah. This, this was a really different storm for Florida. I'm a lifelong Floridian, so I have we've experienced in my lifetime just directly from places I've lived five, six storms in in, in my life. You know, some of them we've evacuated and left for, other ones not. Uh, I moved to the Panhandle in the late '90s, and it seems like on the Gulf side, because I grew up on the on the Atlantic coast. Uh, but on the Gulf side, it, it sort of seems to funnel everything up our way. So we seem to have a little more frequency, uh, if not directly hitting us, more frequent threats of everything too. So, so it wasn't our first, um, it wasn't our first rodeo, as they say, you know, with storms and everything. But um, we've kind of gotten to a point where when we we make our evacuation decisions, you know, at a about a category three is when we start deciding, do we stay or do we go kind of thing. And a lot of that depends on where you live, how close to the coast you are and everything. Um, but this storm went from a, you know, from its formation to this category five in a less than four days. I mean, it was just wow. incredibly fast and it, and it broke a pattern that caught, I think it's why it caught so many people off guard, because typically storms hit their peak out in the in the ocean, in the Gulf or, or wherever that. And as they come closer to shore, they weaken a little bit because the fuel that feeds them starts, you know, as the, as the shoreline comes, there's less water available and whatnot. And this storm just continued to get stronger as it approached uh uh, approach so it kind of caught us off guard um so it hit on a wednesday and so we're of course monday and tuesday we're watching the news where we're we've got the weather channel on and and you know like everybody and looking for it to come and so we go to bed on like tuesday and at roughly at that time they're saying well it's probably we're expecting to be a, a good solid category three you know uh, and like I say, that's that's our decision point usually. But mm -hmm. we kind of assess thing, and you know, I I live I live near the coast, but I don't live on the coast. I live a, a good five, six, seven miles inland. Um, I'm not in a in a flood zone area. You know, I have a brick exterior house and everything. So I thought, well, yeah, we'll we'll probably be okay. And uh, so we go to bed, you know, thinking, you know, we're gonna have a storm, but we didn't think we were in peril as it were well then you know the next morning by about 10 o'clock this thing has gone blown through a category three already and at that point short of better third they're saying run for your lives um but it's mm. sort of too late at that point you know because there's nowhere else to go people that have left have gone the traffic is terrible so we we decided to to, to ride it out on, on it because like saying and honestly i still thought we'd be we'd be okay and uh, um and our saving grace probably on this particular storm is that it was a very fast moving storm um it, it, i think it was moving around 12 13 miles an hour and so the duration of the storm was about four to five hours you know mm -hmm. and kind of after that it it was it was done but um but you, you talk about the winds and, and, and stuff, you know, so obviously you see it. Um, those of you in, in northern clients, climates that have snow, you know, you're familiar with the term whiteout, right? You, know, you get a blizzard and the wind is blowing right. so bad and you're just a white, you know, whiteness out there. Yep. Well, for the first time in my life, I, I experienced a gray out. 
and it was be, be, because the wind, there were times when you looked out the window and the wind was so strong but there was so much rain whipping it it was just like this gray mass that you could maybe see six seven feet in front of you was all it was you know uh because the wind and rain and um and like I say, we ended up having pretty catastrophic damage to our home as we as we went through it. Of course, the power went out, you know, and so you're sort of cut off from everything. And uh, so you're you're mostly just looking through your windows. You hear stuff. You hear noises. Um, I have a little shed out on the side of my house, and uh, one of my neighbors has a smallish tree, but it came down and took out my shed. I remember taking a picture of that going, you know, it's our, our first casualty and everything. But I started hearing just tons of noises is the best when they just, uh, scraping sounds on, on, uh, from outside. So I know tree limbs and things like that. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, it, there, there goes my roof shingles. I, I just assumed that I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm losing roof shingles. And, and sure enough, probably about 45 minutes to an hour into it, I start seeing a little drip in my uh, ceiling, you know, and I go, oh yeah, I must have lost a lot of shingles for water to be starting to drip through. And, um, and I don't know how long it was after that, but a, a perfect little square section of drywall, because it got wet, it just dropped in, in, into the kitchen. And when I looked up, I saw daylight. And, <laughs> and, that, and, and we're all home inspectors. We know that's not good. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and it was one of those moments where you, you look up, and, and literally the word that came out of my mouth was like, oh, like, oh, I understand <laughs> now the entire roof structure is gone over that part of the house. Um, yeah. it's not just shingles, the, it's, it's open uh, to the storm. So um, I had brought my, my mother, who, who lived in an apartment just uh, a, a, around the corner from me, we'd brought her over. And uh, so I said, we, we need to go to that end of the house now. <laughs> and yeah. for the next couple hours, I mean, we just, I would peek out, but you would hear crashing noises because as it continued to rain, the more rain that came in, the more of your drywall ceiling got wet, more, more of the ceiling came off. We have a, we have French doors into the, in the backyard. It, they popped open one time. I closed them again. They popped open again. And finally I gave up um, on that. And we just basically huddled at the other end of the house <laughs> and you kept hearing these crashing noises yeah. and crashing noise because as, as your as the drywall ceiling got wetter and wetter, more of it just kept coming yeah. down and kept coming down and, and everything. And let, let me uh, ask you about the roof, like just so people understand, like your, your roof essentially, or your, the, the roof structure essentially lifted off. Correct. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just want to make sure people understood that. So maybe just describe that a little bit. As yeah. Going. So, so, so we, you know, we lost shingles and then after that we, we lost the, the, the roof decking actually came off. And in my case, we right. didn't realize it until after the storm and we could go outside. Uh, but I have, um, my house is uh, gable ends on um, my house. And one of the gables on the north end of my house had literally just fallen out. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it had, uh, I guess the roof had lifted enough to where it just let loose and came out which then opened the entire attic space. So as the wind got up and under, so 
it you know we we do our trusses here it's pretty standard on 24 inch centers mm -hmm. is what we do our trusses and so the roof sheathing peeled off for about about eight across about eight um of the trusses uh of the pre uh, the pre-manufactured right. trusses two of them snapped two of them broke now they stayed in place they didn't come off but they they snapped as they were as as, as everything was coming off so wow. so for the last half of the storm quite you know the inside of my house was just entirely open you know to yeah. to, to the storm yeah so now you're you're huddling at one side of your house yes <laughs> <laughs> with your your mom who i i think is rather small yeah my mother on a, her being blown away <laughs> yeah 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 my mother is you know um is at her heaviest about 89 90 pounds you know and so i never i never really felt like oh we're gonna die or in this i mean that thought didn't come across but you make plans and so i'm looking at my neighbor next door and his house is pretty intact and i know that he's home and uh, i think my house is actually shielding <laughs> for him and um so in my mind i go well if if this keeps working back to our end of the house and we have to make a dash for it i can go next to my neighbor so we're making plans my my wife has a dog we have that and you know, I'm explaining to my wife that okay, if we have to go to next door here, um, I'll have to carry my mom because she's weighs less than a hundred pounds. So a hundred mile an hour wind's going to just take her if we go, yes. you know. And so you know, as she gets the pets, and I take my mom over my shoulder, and we can run the the 20 feet to our neighbor next door in a worst case scenario. Thankfully, yeah. it it never came to that. Obviously, yeah. Um, well, that's a, a wind like that. It just, you know, in, in fact, we kind of joked that she would get blown away, but she might. Like the uh, thirty knots. If I were to continue my list, that's where if you're ever out in a windstorm and you feel like you have to like lean into the wind to make yeah. some headway, that's about thirty. Uh, and I guess you guys at at your location, you might have been at like ninety knots or so, right? So if you're like hundred e miles an hour there, or e easily, so uh, easily the part that we were in, um, the some of the local uh, areas, because the storm made landfall. The eye of the land made about thirty miles east of us. Uh, mm -hmm. probably, actually, probably fifteen to twenty, not a full thirty. Uh, the actual eye came across, came ashore about maybe fifteen miles from us. So. Um, so yeah, I mean, we exceeded. I mean, in my neighborhood, we know that we exceeded 100 mile an hour winds. They, they, you know, they they mm -hmm. do they do the official measurements, but not so much in every single location. But yeah, cer certainly for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, unbelievable. So then, um, your, your house is essentially destroyed, um, and it's not like you could just suddenly be somewhere else. I think you had to live in the place for. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, two or three weeks. Yes. So what, yeah. what was that like? <laughs> so yeah. That? So so that is like um, getting back to your roots, I guess, <laughs> kind of yeah. thing. Because in in my neighborhood, we just about three weeks uh, before power was restored um, in in my neighborhood. Some places were faster. Some places took longer. You know, they have a a pattern of, of how of how they restore things. Um, it, for us, um, it was a little unique for us because we are on uh, well water and septic, which means I don't have a city, a municipal supply for my water. 
So when the power went down, I have no water because I don't have power to run my well either mm -hmm. <laughs> at the same time. Uh, whereas the municipalities, most of them have backup generators on their pumping stations and things like that. So they got city people got their water back relatively quickly after the storm but we did have a small um, gasoline powered generator that you know that we've always kept on hand so it gave us some basic lights and things but it wasn't powerful enough to run our our well pump you know that that provides water for the whole thing but this is where um uh, marrying people smarter than you uh <laughs> done the same yeah yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely uh comes in thing because we, we have a, a hot tub on a screened porch in our back and the day before my the storm as a precaution my wife drained the hot tub scrubbed it and bleached it out and filled it with fresh water so we had about 400 gallons of water in the hot tub <laughs> right there which is what got us through the, the next couple weeks um, because we would um, we sort of developed a routine at night with our toilets and whatnot because I'm on septic so I can flush just fine. So, you know, we, we gathered up buckets and there was like a nightly routine before you went to bed. You, you filled up the tank with a fresh fill of the tank in the toilet and then you filled up the bucket and you set a bucket next to the toilet so you had at least one flush and another one that could come behind it you know and um we um i like uh, our yard is um uh, we would like to decorate our yard so I, i've gotten into these solar uh landscaping lights and we were fortunate that after the storm we actually had very lovely weather for a few weeks after that bright bright and sunny and so each day we would we would put these solar lights out in the yard and then in the evenings we would bring them into the house what 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 had been my landscape lighting and we would bring them into the house to light portions of the house for us and stuff so you got that little generator like what could you cover on that like how many watts do you have on like could you run your fridge and this sort of yeah thing? yeah it was uh the one i had was a 5500 watt um generator so it, it could run your basic lights for the things that it could run your refrigerator um, we had a little add-on um, we have a, like a little uh, mother-in-law's apartment on the back of our house and it had a small window unit air conditioner and it would actually run that too mm -hmm. so 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 with that um, you know we could we could at least keep our, our food cold. Um, we had a somehow through it all, my, my gas grill on the outside survived. And, mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we could cook on cook. that, but it was, you know, it was sort of a form of camping, I guess, just <laughs> not, not really in a tent, you know, <laughs> and, all, and all your neighbors too, like everybody's in the same situation, right? And not do, do most people have generators there or, or just, just you? It's not as common as you would think. Most people had portable generators. I, yeah. I would say probably at least half had portable generators because in the evenings, of course, there's no power. So it's dark, it's quiet. But as you sat and listened you'd sort of hear the hear the little hum of generators around the neighborhood a little bit you know mm -hmm. um so we were now we were sort of trapped in our neighborhood i live in an, an older developed so we have quite a lot of mature mature trees around so it was three days before we could drive out of our neighborhood because all our roads were blocked 
by mm -hmm. large trees and stuff. And of course, you know, the government, they get right on clearing, but of course, clearly they prioritize bigger highways and stuff, individual streets and neighborhoods. They're not right. first on the list of things. So um, just, again, people coming together, people in the neighborhood, some have chainsaws, some have these little four by fours, others have trucks and whatnot. We all banded together and were able to just cut a path out after a couple of days to where we could at least drive and get out of your neighborhood. Uh, you know, it's it in supplies. Our... Yeah. Yeah. Start so. start looking for supplies and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then um, from there you ended up, okay, now you got to start rebuilding. Um, you're, you moved into a rental uh, place and you were, how, how long were you out of your house before they could get you back together? And Yeah, we were, running? we were out of our home um, right at four months. Uh, we did a, we did a rental, um, mm -hmm. a townhouse rental for, for four months. And because we had to, um, Basically, about 60% of the interior of our home, we gutted down to just studs. You know, we uh, we have mostly slab. I'm on slab here in this part of Florida. We have slab construction. So we were pretty much down to studs and slab, you know. Um, the biggest challenge, of course, is finding uh, contractors. Uh, well, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like the, the, the four months is actually, it's quick anyway. It is. Uh, and then on top, top of that, you're just trying to find people to do the work. Yeah, yeah. And and, and honestly, that was the biggest challenge. It, it really was. Um, uh, th there were two routes to go. Some people just hired a general contractor. They and, and it was up to him to find all the subs and things like that, you know. Uh, I think with my background, I'm just a little bit of a control guy. And I wasn't, ha I wasn't comfortable just handing it all off so and of course you know having done home inspections you meet people in the trades and things mm -hmm. like that so so that was kind of how we did it you know it was obviously until you can get your roof done you really can't do anything you know we had uh you know our roof was tarped with just a big blue tarp over it for Almost a month, almost, I guess, just shy of a month. But we were able to find a roofing contract because there's a lot of, of course, everybody hears stories. There's a lot of fly-by-nighters that show up, you know, during these things, uh, unqualified contractors, things like that. But but we were fortunate. We found a, a good roofing guy, and um, he was able to reconstruct because it wasn't just a normal roof replacement, obviously. Yeah. You know, it's, it, yeah, yeah, there were some structural repairs that had to be done, you know, had to build, you know, he had to build out our soffits all on that one side because everything was gone and, and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, but once you get the roof on, then it's just a, it's a step-by-step -step thing, you yeah. know what I mean? And uh, just like, just like, just like new construction, really, yeah. at that point, you know, this has to go first and then the yeah. rough wiring and then your rough plumbing and, and and all of that re up, up on the roof the whole time making sure he was using those uh, ring shank nails or <laughs> not the whole time um but but it was hilarious the story because the 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 roofing guy told me later on he said when he found out that i was a home inspector he said i almost didn't want to take your job <laughs> yeah, exactly. because he was concerned i was going to tell him how to do it you know <laughs> yeah. but yeah. um but it, it it was clear that they were they were competent from early on so so no I didn't, uh, I didn't shadow him, <laughs> um, 
but we did um, we did strengthen our house and that you know that was kind of a mm-hmm. thing that's it's an opportunity you know my house was built in the 1980s and um, so you know our building codes have changed through the years like like right now if the same scenario were to happen my gables would not fall out you know right because so you went um, with tie downs and we went with tie downs on the gable ends and things like that you know and actually refitted the existing ones that i you know already have the ones that survived and things like that but back in the 80s our trusses had to be tied down but the gable ends just wasn't wasn't required you know back mm-hmm. then you know and they are yeah. now and uh so you know we did some some upgrades and things like that to you know yeah well, that's kind of an interesting segue in a little bit into this wind mitigation inspection. And uh, for people in other parts of the country where it's not done, um, it is kind of interesting um, to understand what it is. So um, just to, I'll set the stage for it. I'm going to ask a few questions and, and again, jump in if I say anything incorrect, but uh, Florida is possibly the most expensive place to get home insurance right now. Florida um, is it is expensive. okay <laughs> not <Yeah>. possibly <laughs> exactly and so what what the insurance companies want to do to help them manage the risk is they want a wind mitigation inspection done um, and the goal is to have an expert characterize the home in in a document with respect to how it would perform in a storm and if you have a house that will perform well then their risk is lower and you get a lower rate uh, if you've got uh, high risk, um, then uh, your rate is going to be higher. So, I mean, that's the point of it. Um, so maybe just tell me a bit more about it and, you know, uh, the, and how many you guys do. Are you doing one on every single house you inspect? And then we'll dig into a little bit more about what it is. Right. Yeah. So, you know, as we in within our system, you know, of course, you know, we talk about added services and, and we do have a little bit of an advantage because the wind mitigation is often required um, during a real estate transaction. So it's not an added service that we have to sell to somebody. We based on their home, you know, when they're booking their inspection, we go, oh, you have to have this. Yeah, so we'll add it on, you know, kind of thing. So, you know, from our business point of view, that's a big help for us, of course. But it's it's not it's not required on every single home. We probably do it though on sixty percent of of what we do. So, depending on the year that your home was built. Um, so, because Florida has been changing their building codes as they've learned more as these storms have gone through uh, during things. So, so like newer construction homes have been already built to the latest wind code standards, and so when the insurance company sees, you know, that that the the year of construction is within a certain time frame, they're going to assume that it it has been built to those standards. So they don't require us to document um, these things. But just like on my house, like for instance, when they, when they redid my roof and everything. Um, So in Florida, if you have an older home and you have just a standard roof replacement, so you're, they're going to take off your shingles and, you know, replace all your shingles and stuff. They are actually required to do certain upgrades 
during that time. Um, structural upgrades, right? Structural the, upgrades, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so some of them are mandatory, some of them are optional, but a couple of the mandatory ones are that as they strip off your, your old shingles when, and they expose the sheathing, you'd mentioned the ring shank nails, um, that uh, we now have to use, uh, they have to re, even though the decking is already nailed, they're required to re-nail the decking using an 8D, which is a two and a half inch long ring shank nail along every truss and those and those uh, nails can be spaced no less than six inches apart. Mm -hmm. And uh, so years ago, they used to require that just on the edges of your sheets of sheathing, but not in the middle. But now they have to be every single truss through there. Right. And so when we're doing our wind mitigation, when we're in the attic, we're actually taking a metal detector in with us, we have a little handheld metal detectors that we run along the trusses and we measure and mark where those nails are. And there's always a one or two shiners that pop through and we're required to hold a tape measure up to that and take a photograph of it to show that there's two inches of nails showing. So mm -hmm. you can you can document that they've used a two and a half inch nail because you have half inch um, sheathing that they've gone through you know so these are some of the steps we have to take in in doing these wind mitigations we have to verify that this has been done especially on older homes because it allows those homes to qualify for what they refer to as wind credits and they you uh -huh. know they, and it'll reduce their things um, one of the other things is an option is called a, a secondary um, moisture barrier and so you know normally when we do a roof you nail it down and then we put um, you know, um, tar paper or some sort of layer down, you know, before the shingles. Um, there are kinds that are actually a, a, a sticky type paper that they can seal the seams. Is it like an um, ice and water shield, grace ice and water shield or something very, like that? Very much like that, except yeah. I think, uh, and again, I've never inspected in the north, but you guys have to do that sort of out near the outer edges, Correct. right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So these are done throughout the entire roof and you can do it two ways they can just do it um again where where your sheets butt up together you know so you're sealing that mm -hmm. that that place or some of them just use the sheet that's that's glued down the whole the entire the entire uh, uh surface of it too but either one qualifies you for an additional discount because even then if you lose your shingles and whatnot you're less likely to suffer water damage from leakage um uh, through that. That's a difficult one sometimes to determine. I was going to say, <laughs> let's see, I have a gable end you might get to or gable. Yeah, that's a... um, what, what's common here are ridge vents up at mm -hmm. the, at the peak of the thing. And typically there's a little overlap and you can get up in there and you'll, you'll feel the sticky bottom of it. And so generally that's enough of a verification that it's there, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, but then, of course, in the wind mitigation, we have to document whether they have hurricane clips. And there, there are different kinds of hurricane clips. Um, when you get into the South Florida, they actually use straps um, that are, you know, tied into the, uh, you know, the top board and then literally wrap up and over uh, the truss. 
Um, in some areas, they're required to use double straps. Now, we're not in, in North Florida, even though we, we did have this Category 5, we're generally not uh, subjected to that. So we just use a, a type of a clip that nails against the side of the truss and then attaches to the top of the wall framing there. But we have to take photographs of that. And, and things so so these are all added on these are a procedure we do all this is typically done during your attic inspection you know when, right. when you're inspecting a house you, you document all this in the attic while you're there yeah how many how many things uh in that wind mitigation inspection are above and beyond what you'd be doing anyway in your inspection and then um, what's the additional time do you think you spend yeah yeah all of those things i just measuring and and marking and taking all these photographs typically you wouldn't do that in a standard you would look you know obviously and and, and stuff but um but the documentation part of it is what would be above and, and beyond uh what we would do um once you get into groove and you do it as long, it, it actually doesn't add a lot of time. Um, I would say on average, five to 10 minutes in the attic, it may be ads, you know, every now and then you get that house. Um, the, the biggest thing that will, will eat up your time and stuff is you have to have photographic evidence for these forms, for these documentation. So you mm -hmm. have to have a photograph of that. Well, now the clips, of course, are located way out at the edge, you know, and oftentimes that can be a struggle. Insulation blocks the way, you know, we carry these long handled rakes that will stick out there and kind of scoop it away and stuff. But every now and then you just, you'll find yourself spending another 10 or 15 minutes simply trying to locate one, a clip that you can take a photo of to verify that mm -hmm. they're there, you know, and, you know, in our market around the seventies or eighties is when these clips started being used on a more regular basis. So sometimes houses before that, they simply don't have them. They're just toenailed, you know, and, mm -hmm. and you know, and sometimes they just don't, they don't have it. Um, the other thing that's happening new that we're struggling with is, um, and it, it is allowed by our code is they're using structural screws now. Mm -hmm. So when they're framing the house, they're running these long, these, I think they're Simpson type screws, you know, yeah. that, that go up through that top plate straight up into the, uh, the truss. It meets all the uplift protections, but we can't get a picture of that. Right. It's hidden. And so there's yeah. a, it, there's a bit of a, uh, some confusion going on with the insurance company saying you don't have any photographic evidence and trying to explain, well, we can't, uh, but <laughs> that's possible. always another, that's always one of the things of, of technology moving faster than an industry yeah. moves, you know, and uh, so I'm sure that'll be fleshed out here um, coming shortly there. But those are the things that we do, yeah. you know, during, during our attic inspection that would be add on types of things. Um, uh, you know, I mentioned my house is, is a gable, um, yeah. Bel believe it or not, the shape of your roof will qualify you for a discount. And so if your house is a hip construction, hip roof construction, you actually get a better insurance rate than say I would on, on my right. house, you know, um, because obviously if you have slopes down on all, all sides of your houses, it's less susceptible to yeah. the structural damage in those high winds and stuff. And then yeah. you always have the, the structure. There's a, it's mostly hip, but then there's a gable portion over the garage or over the, 
over the porch or something like that that extends out you know for aesthetic reasons and so again they have rules that you have to measure the the circumference of the entire roof line around and then you measure the width across of the gable and the gable length has to be 10 percent or less of the total uh, circumference around if it's less than 10 percent so if you have 300 feet around and your gable is 28 feet wide, you're good. You're a hip roof. Yeah. But if it's 31 feet, you're rated as a gable roof. <laughs> so if if you're on the cusp there, there's probably a whole opportunity to say, hey, you know, if you slip me an extra 50, <laughs> you can make it 29 and a half. Well, we, we're not trying to make people's uh, insurance more expensive, you know. And uh, and we are, we are using one of these little roller things that aren't yeah. entirely accurate, you know. But... Yeah. Um, and then Fabby actually, uh, you know, that's that's why I think Fabby has a, the Fabby standard of practice that you have to describe the roof shape, which is pretty much stripped out of all other SOPs. Yeah. And that's yeah. got to be why right there. Yeah, Pro yeah probably because Florida. So, yeah. And uh, but again, even with our Florida standards, the, the describing the roof shape isn't part of our state standards, you know, okay. but yeah. uh, but it is but it is required uh, for the insurance companies, you know, if they're if they're going to accept this this wind mitigation and use that in calculating your rates and, and, and mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. But um, but to give you an idea how big of a difference this can this can make, um, there are six sections on this form. Um, that we fill out, you know, and, and essentially the way it works is each section is an opportunity for you to qualify for a credit, right. you know, and basically you feel, yes, you have this. Yes, you have that. No, you don't have that. No, you don't have this. Yes, you have that and whatnot. And at the end of it, they just add them all up and go. But like um, one of the uh, one of the opportunities on there for a credit is impact protection too on, uh -huh. on your on your openings because because you got all the roof things but honestly what it's the debris the flying debris is what can cause substantial damage during a hurricane and so they have different credit uh values for if you have uh opening protection too they can be uh -huh. as low as uh, plywood uh, but again, there are regulations about what kind of qual plywood qualifies and what doesn't, how it's attached, those kind of things. But then there are also manufactured shutter systems and barriers. And of course, now they've been, they've introduced uh, impact rated windows. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, heavily, real heavy windows with uh, double glazing and a, and like almost like a Kevlar material built into the glass and, and, and things like that. They're, they're very expensive windows, but they're, they're unbelievably durable as far as impact rating and stuff. But qualifying for those kind of things, I had a, uh, it was a very expensive house, multi-million dollar home we did. And, you know, we checked and they did not have impact rated windows. And the buyer thought that they did. And so when we filled out our form, we did not indicate that they had and they were questioning us so just to be sure i went out there to double check you know and i want to be wrong you know mm -hmm. and they and they didn't and the this buyer said that was the difference of about eight thousand dollars a year that they were going to oh pay my goodness on their policy wow. if they had them mm -hmm. <laughs> you wow. know 
So yeah, uh, so it's Unbelievable. It, 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 it's substantial. I mean, just, just on my own current policy, um, I qualify for the hurricane clips and the nailing and those kind of things. And they'll always show you on your policy what your wind credit is. And on my policy, right. just, just those things takes about $3,000 a year off of mine. Wow, amazing. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's so. interesting. Now, I was going to ask you also, you're you're mold certified, right? Or you're like um, I did. Mold assessors? Yeah. yeah. After the after the hurricane, yeah. I got my mold assessors license, too. Um, the, so uh, so I'm both a licensed home inspector and a licensed uh, mold assessor here in the state of Florida. OK, so you didn't have it immediately after. I was just wondering right after the storm, it would have been a it, like were you able to you take advantage of that right away? I guess you would like even in like a year or two after you're probably oh oh yeah easily yeah yeah easily and um and you don't have to have the license to like just do a mold testing like we do as a Mm -hmm. normal part of our service and you're allowed to do that what the assessor's license allows you to do is to expound on your findings a lot more right um you know we are um with that with that license i'm allowed to actually write a remediation plan for a client and uh, and honestly the reason i did that is that particular industry um can be rife with fraud at times especially in, in a situation that people are already afraid people are, are are scared about water and mold damage and um and, and some of these remediation companies take advantage of that they they uh they they milk insurance companies for more money than needs mm-hmm. to and you know some people see that as a victimless crime well it's just your insurance company but i go and that's why are we pay so much for insurance and for it. <laughs> well, we're all paying for it. Yeah. You know, yeah. And um, so honestly, that's what prompted me to get the to, to get the license, you know, to be able to kind of protect people because there were a lot of people who were uninsured and, and you know, and so they weren't milking an insurance company. And right. uh, and you know, and you've got a guy coming in to say you've got to rip all of this out, all of that out, tear all of this, and maybe they don't, you know, maybe right. they don't. But um, but we saw our mold testing just clearly our, our demand for mold testing went through the roof. We did in, in, in 2018 and 2019, I did more mold testing in those two years than I had done like the last seven years combined. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, because Amazing. clearly it's it's a uh, it's far more in people's mind you, you mm-hmm. know uh, a top a top of mind about it because they're buying a home and it's been it's been rehabbed you know it's been put back together but, but if they if they didn't do their moisture protocols and stuff you know they just want to know there's no there's no hidden damage for them you know there's no hidden issues yeah. and stuff and um and it can happen i mean i i had an i had an inst an inst uh, an instance of it you know i went in did this house it looked to be beautifully put back here. I thought, wow, they the contractors have done some nice work here. You know, we did our air testing and it was through the roof. It was through wow. the roof. Well, I, and I mean, I was shocked. I, I really, I was shocked when I got the test back because I, I, I wouldn't have expected it and stuff. This one turned out to be mostly all through their duct work. Apparently they had done all the walls up. They had, nobody had even bothered cleaning out the ductwork, you know, that had been soaked and wet and and yeah. all that through yeah. it, you know. So, uh, but yeah, and it's funny because in the five years since, although the number of mold beyond has reduced a little bit, 
it still has remained higher than it's ever been in my career. So I think it's always one of those things that it leaves a lasting impression for, for people. Right. You know, because yeah, uh, even like, say, in these last couple of years, you know, obviously we're not doing the volume we did right after the storm, but we still do them. Uh, we're still doing quite, quite, quite a bit of it and, and, and stuff. Right. And of course, with the assessor's license, you know, it opened up a little revenue stream for me because I was able to go out and do just straight mold assessments, too. You know, sometimes right. the people, you know, it was their own house. But they wanted to have a mold assessment done to test and, right. and get and get a get a remediation plan put together for them and stuff. So, right. yeah, so it was. And, and, you know, just in terms of your you talked a little bit about your business, it reminded me to ask, um, I think your business was relatively unimpacted at the time. Is that right? And it, it, yeah, like, it it really was. I mean, we had the initial shock, you know, in the first couple uh, weeks right after, where everything in the area, even the, even in the area that was kind of unaffected by the storm, sort of just stopped because you know all their neighbors were so badly affected, and so we had a an initial drop off, you know, which you know, in, in, from a personal point of view, was probably good because I was trying to assess my house and get a plan together and, and things like that, you know. Um, but again, because this was a, it was a powerful storm, but it was a fairly tight packed storm, which means its damage area wasn't as broad as some other storms were. So, right. there, you know, in my territory that are known, there, there were parts of my territory that were relatively unaffected by storm both to the east and the west of, of my my town that i live in so yeah so we had to we had to be up and running income wise you know to go you know we were um the cell company that i use was horribly um they lost 15 towers in it and i had no cell so we had no cell service for weeks on end you know we had to drive to another town and i had to buy some burner phones um, to, to sync uh, your reports to a system, yeah, that we were hot spotting our phones to, you know, so I could answer my telephone to be able to take some orders, you know, and, and stuff. Oh, so in you know, so in the in the market right around my house, you know, as far as home inspection wise, you know, it stopped for a good six months or so. But the you know the other markets, I'll say, you know, when you when you got just about. 25 miles or so out from my area, you know, we're relatively unimp unimpacted and business went on as usual there. Nice. Well, that's a in incredible story. I want to just go a slightly different direction. And that was, you know, uh, when you have something like this happen, uh, there are sometimes little stories that put a smile on your face. Um, and I know we discussed that, uh, you yeah. know, things that happen around the storm that were, you know, cherished, um, Piece yeah. of good news. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, because you know it's like any sort of disaster always brings out both the best and worst in people, you know. And unfortunately, the worst is typically what the news people cover, you know. <laughs> and um, we have like about three three major cell phone providers here, and one of them who had the bulk of our market, they're the ones that lost so many towers. And so probably three quarters of the people in my county, their cell phones didn't work. And um, and we have um, a local, a, they're not local, but we have a Sam's Club in the area, you know, big corporate, you know, part of the Walmart Corporation and stuff. But Sam's was clearly, clearly prepared. And because within about four days of this storm, four or five days, they had opened their store 
they had their generators up and going and somehow they were getting supplies in nobody to this day i don't know how because half the roads weren't clear but they were getting supplies in the sam's is uh is sort of a it's a membership thing you have to pay a membership hmm. to be able to shop there but you know they were letting anybody and it didn't matter if you were here they let you come in you didn't have to remember no but they didn't care whether you bought a membership or anything but there was a line to get in store and i remember standing out in this line and um and like I say one of the two uh, a couple of the um cell phone companies they had restored some service and stuff but there were people who had been two or three days and they not been able to communicate with their family even to let them know they were okay and stuff and i just saw people in this line just passing their phones around mm -hmm. to other people so they could call and let their mother or their grandfather say hey we're fine we're okay you know blah 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 and people just didn't you just handed you know yeah yeah here take this you know and yeah. and within a short time uh a couple of those companies had it they had uh tents set up and, and honestly they were they were handing out free phones to people they they weren't charging for them. They were just handing out telephones, you know, to people. Wow. And, um, and you know, gasoline was, you couldn't come by it. I mean, within almost um, a 70 mile radius, there was no gasoline available. Even if they had power, it was all used up. It was gone. They were empty and they couldn't get mm -hmm. it in. And, um, and again, Sam's Club, somehow they, they have this gas pumps, you know, and somehow it's, started getting gas in and everything and it was the same thing they were open it they prioritized it for um first responders so police right. fire department one of them they'd let them right in right in front of the line but i mean at one point i saw you know that i had heard that there was like a six hour line you know <laughs> to get gas there <laughs> but it was the same thing they didn't care if you were a member they didn't care if, if you pulled up to the pump and you had your membership card swipe it if you didn't they had an attendant there and he just swiped one and said get your gas you know and right. uh and, and go so and it was the same thing you know i had a i had an old high school friend that i graduated high school with from all these years ago over in the jacksonville area we had stayed friends but we were like super close you know but a couple weeks after um the hurricane you know his wife gets a hold of my wife and uh she goes hey we know what's happened to you there and we just want you to know she goes john who's, who's my friend um sells and installs kitchens now that's what he does for a living and uh we just want you to know that when you guys are ready that john says that you know he'll 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 sell you the, the cabinets at his cost and he'll come out and install them for you wow yeah. Wow. And so, you know, this friend of mine, again, we were, we had been close to him, we had stayed, but ended up making three trips from Jacksonville over to the, you know, 300 miles, you know, to come help me put cabinets in and stuff. And it just, these kind of things, like I say, they, they, they bring out things in people, um, sometimes bad, but probably more good than bad. And, and, and it's just sad to see that some, so much of the good often doesn't get any press <laughs> yeah. Yeah, on it, you know, because my story's not unique. You know what I mean? Sure. It, it, it's not unique. You know, I, I, you know, there's people left and right that had stories of that with people helping each other out. One neighborhood uh, that was out power, they had all the um, utility guys, you know, they bring in utility people from all over the country, you know, to help restore 
your power and, and things. And um, this whole neighborhood, most of them were losing their food and stuff. And they had this giant cookout and fed all these line guys, you know, putting up all the power and stuff, just bringing them all food, right. things, you know. So, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, yeah. So it, it brings it, it brings community together in a way that goes away, unfortunately, <laughs> pretty quickly, too. But it's nice when it's there, you know. Yeah. Okay, I've got a question for you. Now, your house is probably practically a fortress now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, is Category 3 still going to be your threshold? Probably for me, yeah. Uh, I mean, for, yeah, it, it would for me. Um, the, the only thing that I would say is about a year or so after um, we, we were in a possible path of a storm coming, mm -hmm. and for the first time in my life, when we were watching it, I had a lot of anxiety about it. Right. And I never did before. It was always very practical kind of decisions, you know, but I, I remember sensing, wow, this is making me kind of scared. And sure. pr prior to this storm, I had never felt that. It was more like, be smart, be careful, make good decisions. It was all very practical, you know, but it wasn't very emotional. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. All other thing to think about yeah it was. well this is interesting I, I you know before we close i just want to ask if, if there's anything else um you'd like to uh to add or um recommendations for others or anything like that before we uh, probably not you know I, I get asked a lot you know well you know do you inspect any differently after after the you know do you mm -hmm. look for anything different things after after these kind of things and um in general, not. You just, uh, I would say that right after a, a situation like this, if you're in a home space, because it's not just hurricanes, there are floods, there are all kinds of disasters that can happen in different markets that we're in, you know. And um, for us, the biggest thing that we were always keyed up to look out is just for um, bad, bad workmanship, you know. And, and, and it's funny because you're a little more tuned to it, you know, typically in our home inspector standards and in most of our states, you know, cosmetic issues aren't that big of a deal. We're not, we're not mm -hmm. harping on that. But when you know a house has been gutted and put back together and you see really bad drywall work, it makes you think and look a little harder what other kind of work may have been done really badly here. You know? Yeah, that's, and, that's interesting. And yeah. how do you get that into a report? I mean, you're not going to put in the report that, you know, you feel the drywall wasn't done well. But to your point, it's more it's telling you to be a little more diligent on the other systems, I suppose. Right? Yeah, and that's really all it is. I mean, obviously, you can't write your report. You can't write your report on suspicions. I mean, you'll, mm -hmm. you know, you'll, you'll, your, your clients, your, your real estate clients will hate you. You know, that, that part doesn't <laughs> change, you know, but it does. It, it makes you look a little harder I think it makes you look a little harder you're going to look closer at that baseboard you're going to look for moisture things more you know we probably spent longer doing our infra our infrared scans took a little more time right you know what I mean we were spending a little more time looking a little more closely on there we would scour that attic um a bit more, you know, if you knew this house had been rewired, you know, as part of it, you know, you scour that attic, looking at those connections and those things, maybe a little closer th th than you might. If you knew this part of the house 
is, you know, because a lot of times they'll tell you, you know, this section, like mine, I mean, you know, the back half of my house was relatively untouched structure-wise, you know, it was the other right. side of my house. So that's all new wiring up over my living room and dining room and stuff. So up in the attic, you know, you know, you might fish around in there. Maybe you might brush away some of that insulation more to look at some of those junction boxes <laughs> whereas normally you wouldn't do that a lot you know what i mean right. and, and and things like that so so it just makes you a little more diligent i, I think because you know our, our 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 goal is the same our goal is to protect our client you know and um, absolutely and so that doesn't change and you know knowing what you know seeing the bad work i think it just makes you a little more committed to doing that Nice. Well, this has been fascinating. You know, as we go into closing here, um, yeah, I just want to thank you for participating. This is just really good information and um, interesting as well. So thanks so much, Mike, for participating. Um, also, if anyone has questions or suggestions, um, reach out to Alicia. Um, and uh, Alicia's at uh, alicia.sumar at pluritopost.com. Um, and, uh, and with that, we'll, we'll wrap it up and thanks again, Mike. Really appreciate well, thanks it. Chuck. It's always great talking with you and, uh, we, you and I could rattle on this stuff for a long time, but, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure uh, we will. Well, you know, I'll, 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 uh, we'll, we'll sit down at brand conference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but I appreciate the opportunity, uh, we, you know, to share my story and stuff. It was a, it's a life changing event. You go through something like that. So yeah. Yeah. So all right. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. All right.